When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. Spain thought they should just pass as much as they please, but didn't count on the counter-attacking Japanese. It was a masterclass from the Asian team who'll take on Norway in the round of 16. Zambia's final performance was far from vanilla, and now we must say goodbye to Priscilla Chinchilla. The Aussies prevailed and had an absolute hoot at the expense of Canada, who were now oot, and Nigeria are through, and hey, we did try to warn you that Ireland would try to score directly from a corner. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a full compliment of TSS host, Taylor Rockwell. Howdy-doody, sir. I I doody well, my friend. Howdy-doody yourself. Uh, I do generally pretty well. It's been a good day of the soccers. We've got lots to talk about, Taylor. Let's uh, do, be thankful for that. Yeah. That we do. Yeah. Many goals, many surprise results. I'm here for it. Yes, indeed. Joining us to be here for it also, Graham Ruthven. Hello, sir. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I very much enjoyed you squeezing Priscilla Chinchilla into your <laughs> rhyming intro. I'm just amazed that it took so long, frankly. Last chance I got to do it, frankly, so yeah. I had to squeeze it in. Yeah, yeah. So, Last uh, chance for the next uh, four years. <laughs> so indeed, better indeed. get it. And now, there we go. And joining us, Graham, returning champion and VSP saboteur, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. <laughs> okay, so what's going on here? I I'm away for the weekend. I'm in Tucson, hanging out with family, and I drop a couple of VSPs in the Discord because we're playing a VSP game, and I'm in contention for the Golden Chewy. And all of a sudden, as soon as they're correct, because they're good VSPs. They're terrible VSPs. I'm reading in the Discord (laughs) that you guys don't want to allow them. I need an explanation immediately. Um, I think the general consensus, Joe, was is you get the privilege to place a VSP if you appear on the recording. Okay, so which is it, right? Because that I'm I'm sympathetic to, and I'm open to that being the case. Taylor Taylor just said they weren't good VSPs, and that at least I want to fight back on. That's editorializing. That's not my opinion. Okay, fair enough. So it is just the fact that I wasn't here. I'll, I will accept yes, the that. Larger one. I will accept the TSS Council's decision, um, <laughs> even though I don't like it and I think it's mean. Wait, so, okay, yeah. sorry. Also, pause. Just the last thing on this, and then we will let it go forever. <laughs> Ryan can no longer accept points from David Goss, to be clear, right? Ryan doesn't get David's points. Well, David was here. on the podcast when he placed his uh, VSPs. Yeah, so David gets his points and Ryan gets his points, but we can no longer have a David Wait, Ryan how many of how team. many of your points are actually gas points, Ryan? That, that's what we need to know. I'm just saying, we got to find <laughs> out. I think it's one or, one or fewer, I believe. Oh, this is like a Juventus investigation into transfer fees. <laughs> you look into one and the whole thing falls apart. Uh, All right. Uh, If you want to join in more of this petty behavior, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, where we are tracking our very specific predictions on our Discord. Uh, We'll be having more at the end of this show as well, of course. Uh, Joe, we're just kidding, but... No, you can't have the points. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to the uh, the games at hand. We saw the conclusions of Group C and Group B on this date, Monday, as we record. Why don't we start where we should with Japan for Spain nil. Yes, indeed. Whistle noise. A perfect demonstration that possession doesn't equal goal. Spain had 77% possession, more than 900 passes, Joe Lowry, and they conceded four unanswered goals. Um, yeah. So how about that? <laughs> This one was a crazy scoreline. Like, I think if you had given me all of the scoreline options, this would have been close to the bottom of the list of ones that I would have picked for this game. I did not think it would be nearly so one-sided. And that applies, like, that that one-sided idea applies in multiple ways. Obviously, it applies to the scoreline. Coming into this match, it seemed to me that these two teams were fairly even. And the group stage results prior to this match against Zambia and Costa Rica for both teams pretty much established that. So I didn't expect Japan to be as ruthless and as effective as they were in this game. I also didn't expect the possession 
numbers, Ryan, you just read it out, to be so one-sided as well. I didn't think that we would see Spain completely dominate the ball because, let's be honest, both of these teams had dominated the ball and dominated basically every aspect of play coming into this final match of the group stage. And so for both the scoreline and the possession stats to skew so hard and to skew so hard in different directions, all of that was unexpected to me. And I think the, the major X factor in this game was Japan's defensive block in particular. It wasn't, you know, their, their counterattacking play necessarily, although that was huge. It wasn't Spain's possession play. For me, the thing that stood out the most in this game was how effectively Japan defended in their 5-4-1 shape. They were in this kind of mid to low block a lot of the time. They would press sometimes as well, but they're in this 5-4-1 and they would keep the midfield line of four so incredibly narrow, trying to deny Spain any access into that central strip of the field. And it, it worked like the entire game. Spain could not find any answers. It all started with that Japanese block. And then Japan went out and, and killed them on the counter. But again, all of these things come back to how Japan defended, how resolute they were. Yeah. And, and they're just so well-rounded and versatile to be able to do all of these things. Five different players, five, five rotations for Japan in this game, by the way, from their last match against Costa Rica, they did not miss a beat. Yeah, Joe, they were absolutely brilliant defensively, brilliantly on the defensive side of the ball. For my headline, though, I just can't get away from how effective they were on the counter in that first half. And some of the numbers are just frankly ridiculous. Um, so the final XG for Japan was 0.91. They scored four times from that. They scored four times from five shots. They scored with their first three shots of the match in total. In the first 45 minutes, Opta showed that, showed that Japan spent a grand total of 27 seconds in the final third in this match, and they were 3-0 up. This was, it, it was just incredible, like the way that they were, I think it was the third goal when, who scores that that, that uh, third goal, is it Miyazawa, puts it in the top corner. At that point, I think I exclaimed, oh, come on, this is just getting ridiculous. Japan were playing an excellent game. But the way that they were picking off Spain on the counter-attack, they had three touches in the opposition box in the first half and each every single one of them was a goal. I don't know how repeatable that is. And Joe, maybe that's why you're highlighting the yeah. defensive block because that is repeatable. That's the thing that can provide Japan with a foundation for the rest of the tournament. But that first half was just ridiculously entertaining in the way that they were picking off Spain. It was indeed. Taylor, we saw in, in, in the men's Spanish team, historically, maybe over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen sterile possession be a theme, have we not? And it seemed like it was certainly carried on as a theme in this game. And if we're going to talk parallels, by the way, uh, this group we saw Japan and Spain finish in 1-2 finish uh, at the Men's 2022 World Cup, Japan and Spain in the same group with a 1-2 finish, Japan uh, finishing first and Spain finishing second. Japan also beating Spain in December with a goal from Tanaka, no less. Hmm. Another Tanaka, of course, but lots of similarities. Costa Rica in both those groups as well, by the way. Uh, that just helps me draw the parallel between the fact that Spanish soccer likes a lot of meaningless passing, doesn't it? I mean, you say meaningless. I wouldn't go that far with it. I, I thought Spain were good. I just didn't think that they executed fully in the final third. And I think a lot of that has to do, as Joe already said, with that defensive block. And even when they would find passes through the middle or split Japanese players on occasion, it would usually be then turning under pressure and playing into a tight back three who were there to step out and, and cause problems and really limit opportunities. I think... Uh, Spain's only shot comes from outside the box in the first half. Uh, and so I thought Spain, even when they were good on the ball, even when they were moving it or trying to move it quickly or trying to turn under pressure and play forward quickly, still weren't able to come up with much in the way of answers. And 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 so it's a strange game where I felt like Spain showed some good stuff and then were just had their knuckles thwacked three different times in the first half. I thought the fourth goal, slightly less defensible from a Spanish defending perspective. But yeah. But I think the first three for Japan show just how good they can be on the break. And and to points others have already made, it shows how versatile this team is, both in terms of how many players can fit into the starting 11 and still look just as good. But then that this team can press at times, can sit deep at times, they can possess, they can not possess. They are a pretty multifaceted Japanese team uh, and a pretty ruthless one at that with uh, some of the numbers and goals we saw. The, the lack of defensive engagement from Spain at times was was frankly baffling. Right. I think the best example of this was for the second goal, where Paredes just doesn't get 
close enough to is it Uiki? Yeah. Is that how you how you pronounce that? And when she's taking the the shot well inside the Spain box as well, it's not like she's on the edge of the box. She is like what a solid five yards into the opposition box by the time that she takes the shot, and obviously it gets the fortunate ricochet and loops up over the goalkeeper, but. There was no engagement there yeah. from Paredes. I also have no idea what Galvez is doing for the third Japan goal. I, I can understand standing off and jockeying when Japan are coming flying forward on the break after a turnover in the middle, as happened for that goal. But Galvez covers a space that Paredes is already covering rather than coming across to cut off Mi- Miyazawa's run, who just gets into the box pretty easily and, and, and scores. And I just wonder if... Um, Mappy Leon is in the Spanish team and not watching from home. She is one of the, the 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 rebellions, the rebels who didn't come back into this squad for this World Cup. I wonder if she is in the Spanish defence, if, if maybe they fare a little bit better in, in those moments. We hadn't seen Spain tested as a defensive outfit until this match. And even Sandra, Sandra Panos, who has ordinarily or a long time ago a year ago was the first choice Spanish goalkeeper maybe she pulls off a couple saves and 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 uh, as a bit of a differential there and this match is a bit different I think Spain have to improve collectively and individually defensively and that's my biggest takeaway from this match from their point of view because as I say we hadn't seen them tested in that respect until now I'd say even Graham, the fourth goal was incredibly yeah. passive from Spain as well. Basically, <laughs> it comes from the throw on. They're backing off, they're backing off, they're backing yeah. off. They slowly oh. roll out the red carpet. They're still backing off when they're inside the box and no engagement at all. It was incredible. It's a combination of the two because it's Galvez, the center back, sliding over and tries to make a play, tries to intercept that throw and just completely loses it. And from that point on, then it's really passive defending and it's backing off. It's once again uh, Paredes with the hands behind the back. It's mm. kind of like five yards off. Like, what are you going to do? Oh, you scored. Oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta know that was allowed. So I think if you are an opposition team looking at the Spain team in the knockout round or going forward, I don't know how much you could replicate what Japan did, but I think you can see some opportunities for when defenders are being a bit more passive, that if you are aggressive, if you take your shots, if you kind of take the game to them in that final third, I think you can find space and you can find opportunities, which is not a thing I was fully confident teams could find against this Spain team. I thought this could be a Japan win. I thought this could more likely be a resounding Spanish win. So that it finishes 4-0 is not a thing I had coming for, uh, for Japan, but credit to them for making it happen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Joe, any positives to draw from the Spanish performance at all? I mean, Alexia Pateas had a had an hour on the field. That's something for the later hmm. stages, I guess. Yeah, there isn't much here, to be honest. The, maybe, maybe the one positive from the result is that it still isn't super clear who the best next opponent is for these teams as they move through the competition. You know, the, the winner of this game was always going to play Norway because of the results that had happened earlier on in the tournament, and the loser was going to play Switzerland. And, and that's... What happens? So we'll now have Japan playing against Norway and Spain playing against Switzerland in the round of 16. I think both of these two teams, even despite this disappointing performance from Spain, will be favored in those two games. And I'm not sure the Lions will even be particularly close. They'll be favored. And then the question is how the rest of the bracket shakes out from there, right? So it's Group E and Group G that these groups are up against uh, Norway and, and Switzerland and now Spain and Japan. Those four teams will play top two teams from Group E and Group G. It could be the U.S., there could be Sweden in there. The Netherlands are, are still kind of a little bit of a wild card. We've seen some ups and downs from them in this tournament. We'll learn more about what these paths are going forward. I, I wanted to ask Taylor and, and Graham and Ryan a question. I don't know. From what you guys have seen so far, given that there was a real chance the U.S. could match up with either of these teams, Spain or Japan, depending on goal difference, and very much depending on the round of 16 where the U.S. could play Sweden still, and that is not a gimme, if they're able to advance to the quarterfinals, and let's say these two teams advance as well, is there a team between Spain and Japan that you would prefer the United States to play? Because I think this game swayed me more towards Spain, but it is still scary either way. You'd rather play Spain? I, th- I think so. I think I so. Think I'm Just, with you. But it's not, yeah. it's not easy. It's not well, an easy I think, choice. I think, it, I think for me it's because the, this Japanese team showed that like you can throw lots of different approaches at them and they can handle it or seem pretty adept at handling it. And Spain, I think, kept trying to establish possession, keep possession, probe for opportunities. Maybe they could have gone more direct in the second half, especially I felt like they had opportunities for big switches and just never really looked for that. Or when they did, it was maybe five seconds too late. The United States, I could see going a similar route of trying the same things over and over again, as we saw in the first half against the Dutch and struggling to kind of come up with much to really cause problems for Japan. And if they start to get overextended or frustrated, I could see that being a problem for the U S whereas with Spain, 
you know they're going to try to possess, you can allow them to do so, or you can put them under pressure, or you can try to kind of out-physical them, or you can try to out-possess them. I think there's lots of different things you can do against this Japan team. I think it's harder to find obvious points that you can attack. So if I'm leaning one way or the other, I'm probably leaning towards preferring Spain over Japan right now. Yeah, Spain might have a higher ceiling in terms of their individual talent, but they have definable weaknesses. That's what you're getting at, Taylor, there. Yeah. And, and Emma Byrne, who, is, who was the co-commentator on, on um, the UK broadcast here for this game, made the point that Japan had recognised that by shifting the ball quickly to the left side in particular and then playing that ball in behind, that would expose a Spanish weakness. And actually... Emma Byrne made made the point that she had counted four times in the previous game against Costa Rica when Spain had almost road tested this this ploy in preparation for the Spain game and it worked perfectly for the opening goal. So that says to me that opposition teams are aware of the weaknesses that Spain have. And you're right, Taylor, this, this Japan team, that's the most frightening thing about them as we've seen so many different sides to their game at this tournament. And jump in, jump in if I'm missing anything here. I took down some notes of what we have seen from them. So we've seen defensive work rate from them. We've seen, in, seen them press and counter press. We've seen them stay compact. We've seen them counter in this game. We've also seen them play a high tempo possession game as well. They can control games just as well when they don't have the ball, like they did in this one, as when they do have the ball. So how, how do you... I mean, look, maybe Japan don't win this win this tournament and someone figures them out, but right now I'm not totally sure what the game plan is against them. Let me, let me ask you both this question then. So they will obviously be playing Norway. Would you prefer... Maybe not even do you expect, but what would you prefer to see Japan do? I could see them be aggressive and try to be possession dominant, be the more attacking team against Norway. I could also see them doing exactly what they did here against Spain of sitting off, inviting Norway to try to, to try to find a way through, inviting them to overcommit numbers and then hit them on the break. And then it's kind of your game to control from there. I could see them going either way. Do you all have a preference as to what you would like to see them do? I... I would like to see them throw in a mixed approach. I think against a team like Norway that has a lot of attacking talent that hasn't totally clicked, although they finally found the back of the net a bunch of times in the last game against the Philippines, I think Norway will have a right to some of the possession. I don't think Japan will totally dominate the ball like they did in in stretches for their first two group stage games. But I also don't think Norway are anywhere near Spain in terms of how much you need to be afraid of what they Mm. can do with these sort of short five-yard passes in a sequence and then ping, 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 ping. Suddenly they're in behind and they have the ball in the box and they're shooting on target. I don't think you need to have that level of respect for Norway. So I would take it more situationally, where at times you're in the block, at times you're pressing and trying to create transitions high up the field, and other times you're the one in control driving the tempo and creating chances because there will be chances against Norway, especially maybe at the base of midfield. I think that's right, Joe. We saw in the first game of this tournament, New Zealand having plenty of the ball against Norway. So you can control games against them in that way. The other thing to mention about Japan and what makes them so frightening is they have rotated through so many different players in this group stage that one, it means they're able to sustain performances, hopefully into the latter rounds of this tournament. And two, it makes it so difficult for opponents to game plan. We, we talked about Tanaka after the Costa Rica game. By the way, Ryan, I am shocked that Tanaka played a game against Spain and you have not made a ticky Tanaka joke yet, but I'm just getting in, that one in there for you. <laughs> Too easy, low-hanging low fruit. Um, she you comes off I'm the bench. That? <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely not. <laughs> she comes off the bench in this game and you know she was, I thought, the star player in the last game. So they're just frightening in the way that they, they're so interchangeable. They can rotate, not just in terms of their personnel, but also attacking rotations and where players are on the pitch. Yeah, they might be my most impressive team of this tournament so far I I lifted them up into the tier one after watching this game I probably had them tier two before now I think they're probably among the group of favorites now there you go ratings upgrade everybody from Graham Rutherland good stuff I would be inclined to agree with you Graham how about the other round of 16 game set Spain against Switzerland Taylor Um, we've got a team who likes to pass a lot against a team that doesn't want to score very much is it going to be a thriller uh no (laughs) i think it's gonna be a very tight game i think the swiss will try to do defensive things and then hit on the break i don't think they are as adept at it as japan are certainly so i think that will be the game plan they go for uh and try to just make spain's life difficult i also think they won't hesitate to be physical when the situation requires and probably uh, concede some free kicks if it means stopping any free-flowing attacks. I still think Spain get through that one, but I think it's pretty tight and probably like 1-0 in the end. Mm, I think that sounds about right. Joe, anything more on uh, Japan's victory over Spain before we move on, sir? 
Japan really are terrifying. I have a ton of respect for what they've been able to build the youth cycle and, and bringing a bunch of players in a U20 team after U20 team after U20 team. Yep, yep, this, yep. Yeah, th this team is legit. Like they are absolutely one of the favorites for this title. I don't know if I would have gone that far before the tournament started, but I'm on board. I'm fully on board now. They have been awesome so far. They have indeed. Group C final standings, of course, Japan on full points, nine points, Spain on six. Both teams go through. Zambia and Costa Rica with three and zero points, respectively. Let's talk about their game and much more after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We're back. The other game in that group we were just talking about. Group C, that is. Costa Rica 1, Zambia 3. Uh, just Copa playing Queens, they Indeed. get the win. They did. The first ever win, Graham, for the Copa Queens at the Women's World Cup. This game also contained the 1,000th the Women's World Cup goal. The 2-0 goal from Barbara Banda from the spot was that. Uh, Mwimba with a nice finish and uh, Kunjananji also finishing it off in injury time to make it 3-1 to Zambia. Uh, Joe, the Copper Queens, the lowest ranked side of the tournament, went down fighting. Cool. Cool. I mean, that's kind of the reaction at this point, right? It became right. very clear very early on in this group that there were a top two teams and there were two teams down below. And the bottom, I, I would have guessed that Zambia, even with all their injuries and, and different challenges they faced at this tournament, were still going to be a better team than Costa Rica. They just straight up have more attacking talent. Kudananji gets a goal in this game. Benda gets a goal in this game. They're both very, very good attackers. The issue is the depth and the defensive talent just hasn't been there for this team. It's nice for them to get a consolation, even though we knew that both of these sides were out before this game even kicked off. Uh, I, I'm still a little bit bummed that we didn't see just a, a tiny bit more, not even a win, but a tiny bit more from the Copper Queens in either of their first two games. But at least, fellas, they will always have the fact that they are the eighth largest producer of copper yes. in the world. And by always, I mean until someone passes them. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of <laughs> eighth, I think this uh, win knocked them down to a negative eight goal difference, which for a person who predicted that Vietnam would have the worst goal difference, they are now on negative five. Like, I'm Ooh. just I'm just thinking, come on, the Dutch. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> score some goals so I can get that prediction point, even if it means the United States finished second in their group on goal difference. Uh, yeah, a, a, a very good win. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Ryan, about how we should celebrate when teams make their debut, get their first wins, get their first goals, because it's a sign that things are improving, that the game is growing, that there are new players and new teams uh, coming into this one. So I, I think that is wonderful. I think on the whole, not a great World Cup for CONCACAF so far. Uh, Canada out, Costa Rica out Panama looking likely to be out the United States I think will make it out of their group I'm pretty confident they will but it's uh it's not looking great for CONCACAF on the whole indeed yeah Costa Rica Miss Lira Herrera getting the consolation scrambled in from a corner in this one uh Zambia and Costa Rica saying bye-bye at this point uh let's head over now to group B and Canada Oh boy, Canada nil, Australia four at Melbourne's non-square, non-circular, non-triangular stadium. Uh, the co-hosts advancing on home turf here with a pretty resounding win. Uh, Hayley Russo on the double before Mary Fowler and Steph Catley made it four. As for Canada, Taylor, it wasn't so much oh Canada as oh Canada. <laughs> it really was. It was. It was not great from the jump, from the outset. But then I think after that first goal. It is, to my mind, largely panic setting in. And there's a lot of individual mistakes. I think overall, there's not a lot of uh, consistent team play exemplified by the four changes at halftime. That was a pretty telling moment for me. But the other really telling moment uh, is in the 34th minute. Fowler thinks she scored. She thinks she's put Canada up 2-0. I would say it's correctly, albeit controversially, disallowed uh, because Ellie Carpenter is in the way and she prevents, um, I think it's Gilles from making a play on the ball. So in that way, she is offside. She stops the player from, from, I think, blocking the shot. She would have blocked it. So correctly disallowed goal. 
And so reprieve for for Canada at that point. It's only 1-0. It's not 2-0. But from that restart, Canada try to possess. They give the ball away pretty cheaply. Uh, They allow Australia to come right back down. They concede a throw-in. Then from that throw-in, they are very loosely marked, so they have to close down quickly. Uh, The cross that comes in is blocked wide for a corner. And then from that corner, Australia score with... Canada once again looking chaotic, and it and it's felt to me like there was a moment when they could have gotten back into this one when it's instead of two nil it's back to one nil you've got the ball slow it down find your footing uh, and don't panic and instead they go right back and panic and now they're two nil down and from that point on and really from before that point it just felt like Australia were up for this one they knew what they needed to do they have a home crowd they don't have Sam Kerr make of that what you will I was confused but I think this was a resounding result for Australia yeah. and a pretty negative result for Canada. It's it's difficult to know where to begin with this Canada mm-hmm. performance because there was just so much that was wrong yep. with it. And this tournament as a whole, I know they get the win against uh, Repu- Republic of Ireland in their last game, but looking at the tournament as a whole, it's been a bit of a mess of a tournament for, for Canada in general. But looking at this match in particular, they, they couldn't play through the Australian press, they weren't press resistant. The double pivot wasn't able to influence the match. They were slow in the ball. The attacking rotations were predictable and, again, slow. The fullbacks were pinned, so they weren't able to get forward to help in build-up. Sinclair not able to influence the match really at all. Sheridan had a a poor game and a poor tournament in general, to be honest. Of course, gets Olympicode by Katie McCabe in the last game. Very weak for the second Australia goal, I thought, in in this moment. And contributed to a a sense of nervousness throughout the Canada defence. So... The, the pattern of this match was established pretty early on, and at no point did it feel like that pattern was going to change. Graham, I love that you called out Caitlin Sheridan here and, and, and spotlighted her because in the preview for this World Cup, when we were going through group by group by group, I had Canada, and I talked about how Canada have match winners at both ends. They have Christine Sinclair on one end, they have Caitlin Sheridan in the, on, on the other end, and they were going to need match winner type tournaments from both of those players to make a run. The, the middle and some of the, the other issues in terms of how they play in open play and how they set up, I think we're going to be present no matter what. I am, I'm not especially convinced of, of what Bev Priestman has done with this team lately after winning the Olympics, which was very, very, very impressive for that group. But now, you know, they needed Sheridan to bring big saves because they don't have either the, the talent in between the boxes or the structure to really go out and, and make a, a ton of noise. Now, I thought they were probably good enough to get out of the group, but they needed Sheridan to come up multiple times in this group stage for that to happen. And, and she didn't, right? I've, I've been really impressed with what she's done with the San Diego Wave. She was a big part of their excellent expansion season last year in the NWSL. But in this game, Graham, you mentioned it. It's the second goal that she kind of is just flapping at and, and doesn't get enough on it. Credit to Australia. It's a good corner kick setup to crowd the goalkeeper. They do a really good job here. It's disciplined play from them. But Sheridan flaps at it and then hits the ground because she's, she's leapt up to try to make a play on the ball and ends up being... You know, in a position where she can't actually contest the next shot that comes in. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Maybe Rasso would have scored regardless. But to see this game where Sheridan doesn't cover herself in glory and Christine Sinclair comes off at halftime, like it's not a surprise that Canada couldn't find a result because those are their two X factors. And when neither one is able to truly impact the game against a disciplined, but still, I don't, I'm not sure if untested is the right word. That's kind of how I feel about this Australia team, but I don't I don't want to be too harsh to Ireland or Nigeria. But the fact that Canada couldn't come back in this game isn't a real surprise to me when their two most impactful players aren't in positions to impact the game. Yeah, it's worth keeping in mind that Canada didn't have any warm-up games before this tournament because yep. Canada Soccer, as we covered on a That's Big Thing episode a couple months one. ago, said they couldn't afford them. So I don't know whether with that preparation, this is this tournament looks better for Canada, but there were still things within the matches that they played, including this one, that were within their control that they could have executed differently. So yeah, just to recap, a, a bad game for Canada and a bad World Cup all round for them. Man, Graham, that's a really, really good point that I had not really considered because this, this team makes so many changes, uh, throughout the game, but mostly at halftime. And to me, that's always a worrying sign when a team is making consistent changes at the half. They make one against Nigeria, they make three against Ireland, and then they made four in this game. 
And a lot of that, I think, has to do, especially on the attack, with how disjointed they looked. That there, they looked that there were moments when Christine Sinclair would drop in to almost be more of like the attacking midfielder. But then when you have both of your other attackers very wide and very direct, uh, multiple occasions, Adriana Leon would would try to play that direct ball in or try to carry the ball into the box and then just have no one near her because Christine Sinclair had dropped in. Jordan Heidemann was staying wide on the other side. And then I think they would try to change that and they would try to get numbers into the box. But then that's where I would see cutbacks and looking to kind of recycle possession. And and I wonder if you have some of those warm up games. Are you able to drill down on what is your preferred starting 11? What are your preferred tactics? And then what are the sort of set changes you can make based on the game state, based on the situation? And if you don't have those reps, if you don't have those opportunities to experiment and figure those things out, then you're having to experiment and figure those things out in the World Cup when games matter and when you're chasing games, you're trying to get results. And I think at that point, you're no longer playing proactive soccer. You're no longer controlling the match. You're always being reactive. You're always basically in a state of chaos. And I think this Canadian team looked pretty chaotic in this game. They did indeed. They're the first team to crash out the Women's World Cup stages while being reigning Olympic champions as well, which maybe speaks to that lack of preparation, as you say, Taylor. And also, Taylor, it does seem a shame for Christine Sinclair to bow out of mm-hmm. the World Cup in this fashion. She was seen at the end of the game taking some grass off the field and said, and said words to the effect of, I'm not going to be on this platform again, which is kind of sad for one of the greatest players of all time to go out like this. Yeah, I mean, and and she has that moment in the opening game against Nigeria where she misses the penalty, right? And that could have been a very different World Cup for her if that one goes in and and maybe Canada get off to a better start there and they're just feeling a bit more confident. Maybe she gets a few more goals. But for it to end the way it does with her being subbed off at halftime as her team loses 4-0, you can take those blades of grass for your final game, but I, I doubt you're going to want to remember much of that final game if you're Christine Sinclair. What what do you do with those blades of glass, uh, grass is my question. Eventually like, throw them frame away. Frame them or... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just think they get lost in your pocket. Yeah, like, well, I, I, yeah. You eat them. You eat them, Graham. <laughs> you eat them. I More nutritious know. than anything I've eaten in the last five days. <laughs> this this is true. This holiday. is true. <laughs> well, when, um, when uh, Wimbledon FC's original Plow, Plow Lane Stadium closed, we took pieces of the turf. But you take the turf with it so you could plant it in your own backyard. Yeah, you put it in your garden. Yeah, but blades of grass won't quite work the same way. So uh, yeah, what the cap- cameras didn't capture was Christian Sinclair like trying to take one of the seats out of like the, the concrete base <laughs> to take home. Yes, indeed, uh, Graham. And on to the Australians who won the group without perhaps one of the current best players in the world, Sam Kerr, in the ranks, who is yeah. now uh, ready to go for the knockout stages. That's good in two respects. Yeah, and I think in this match we saw something a little bit different from Australia in that. At times, it was essentially a 4-2-4 shape, um, certainly out of possession. They were being aggressive and putting Canada under pressure when when playing out, and that was forcing Canada into long balls, and it just kept coming back at Canada, which obviously when you have a a pressing structure of four attackers, then that means you have bodies already forward to to make the most of those opportunities. Um, And even when Australia weren't pressing at 100 miles an hour, they were daring Canada to play the line-breaking passes and they just weren't able to do it. I think the most effective personnel change that Australia made was to put Caitlin Ford down the left side. She had been playing as a centre forward in the first two games, but putting her on the left gave Australia a way to get into the opposition box. She was finding it very, very easy to drive the ball into the final third and having Ford on the left means that you have you you had some excellent combinations with Steph Catley as well which we saw for the first goal when the, the pair were involved in that build-up play of course the, the two of them play for Arsenal so you could see the understanding there and again Canada just had uh, had no answer they were torn to shreds down that side as you kept on going to the left and because it kept on working they just did it for the full match but yes this was a lot better from Australia and it kind of felt I think Taylor you said after their last game against Ireland um, no not against Ireland who was their last game against Nigeria they lost Nigeria of course that they were set up to play with Sam Kerr without Sam Kerr being there this match didn't really feel like that. It no. felt like there was more to their approach. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the third goal as well is Steph Catley down the line to Caitlin Ford. Caitlin Ford dribbles into the box, waits for Gilles, I think it is, to go to the ground, and then just kind of takes one touch around her, passes it back, and it's 3-0. It was direct down that left channel, but I think it was also just better prepared, better coached. Uh, better preparation around those players and you didn't have it as much of like let's look for Sam Kerr even though I thought Sam Kerr was going to start this game Ryan you say she should be good to go for the knockout round 
that said, like Tony Gustafson said she would be starting this game and then she did not. He's come under a lot of criticism for that in the Australian media. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we're going to find out after the tournament that like Sam Kerr has two broken legs and just was never going to play. But as long as you have her on the bench, teams will be nervous. Another beat on Australia for me, I, they were the better team in this game by a pretty wide margin. I think we've kind of gotten to how unimpressive Canada was and, and maybe there's a, a variety of factors behind that. Australia, I, I thought were better in this game. I still am not totally there on them yet. At least I'm not there without Sam Kerr, who is obvious alert, like a game-changing player, one of the best, if not the best, nine in the world. There's no surprise that she'll make this team better when she's on the field. It just seemed to me like Canada were kind of gifting Australia these chances. We already talked about the, the Sheridan moment where she comes off the line and kind of flaps at the ball. The third goal that, uh, that we just detailed, like they're also kind of gifting that one to Australia. So it, it comes in the 58th minute from Fowler. And we've already talked about certain aspects of this goal with Catley playing the ball forward, all that stuff. But the way that this goal kind of comes about, at least in buildup, is Australia win the ball in their own half after Canada lose it. So Canada are, are pushed forward. They though they then go and, and find their defensive shape. Australia work the ball over to Catley at left back. And Ashley Lawrence, who's playing right back in this moment for Canada, is pressing high up the field. But uh, also Deanne Rose, who's playing as the right-sided midfielder at this point, is also pressing high up the field. And Rose is really the one who's going to press Catley. And Lawrence realizes that she's in this kind of no man's land. And all of a sudden, Australia see that there's this giant gap on the right side of Canada's back line, the left side of their attack. And they play forward to, to Ford, I believe it is at that point. And she drives in and then finds uh, finds Fowler in the box to the goal. It's like these, these just massive defensive miscues where there's two players pressing when they just don't need to be. Or, or maybe it's just Lawrence being out of position. However you want to think about it, there's that. There's the penalty kick, which is unfortunate for the fourth goal. And then the second goal we've already talked about. Like, you can just go through this after time after time after time of Canada making these fairly basic defensive mistakes. Maybe that's Australia putting pressure on Canada to, to really force those mistakes. I'm not sure that I really saw it that way. For me, it was much more Canada kind of folding in on themselves. Yeah. And so I think the interesting discussion point for Australia going forward is, yes, Sam Kerr's minutes. And maybe Kerr coming back will make all of what I've just been saying about Canada kind of laying down and Australia not being that impressive. Maybe it will make that irrelevant because they'll get this boost and become the team that, that we kind of thought they could be coming into this competition. But I, I think there's a reality where Australia, yes, coming in, playing against the second team, whoever finishes second in Group D, they'll probably be favored in that game. But I'm not sure this team yet is necessarily destined for the knockout rounds, and a deep run, I should say, in the knockout rounds. Uh, they are certainly destined for the knockout rounds, Joe, yes, but yeah, yes, maybe they not are. a deep yes, run. Um, England or Denmark is looking like it's going to be in the next round for Australia. Uh, what do you think, Graham? Uh, do, do Australia have a, a shot against either of those teams? No, I generally agree with Joe. I'm not sure what the ceiling is for this Australia team. I thought Hayley Russell had a, had an excellent game um, mm -hmm. and was quick to get forward into the box. And she was the one who was maybe benefiting most from the success Australia were having on the left because Canada, Canada would get drawn over there, there and then that would leave space with a cross to the to the right where Russell would, would kind of ghost in. I thought Cooney Cross and Gorey had a, a good game in the centre of the pitch um, and they did have quite a lot to, to do in the centre of the pitch as the two in, a four, in the 4-2-4 four, 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 that I um, saw from this match at times. So they do have quality. You know, Hayley Russell obviously has pedigree at the kind of elite level of certainly the English game. But it does kind of feel like they're waiting for Sam Kerr to come back into this team to give them a real shot of a deep run in this tournament. Indeed. Uh, the highlight of the game we haven't spoken about, of course, uh, Alicia Chapman uh, in a clash with uh, <laughs> with Hayley Rasso was caught by the pit side mic with some very choice words, which we can't repeat here, but I think you can find on the social should you be inclined. But, uh, but Graham, uh, I was watching this with my mother-in-law and we both kind of looked at each other like, oh, that was just yeah. said on national television. Great. Yeah, it was It was a lot for being on the BBC at, what would this have been, like 10 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. Clear as day. Fun times. Without it saying the word, were you all also flummoxed by her pronunciation? Because that seems to be a, an American, North American mm. pronunciation of that word. I feel like you all say it more with an A than an I O. I think that the British audience wouldn't have picked up what that word was because yeah. of that. But there was a word preceding it we would know. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that much. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Ireland, Nigeria, and of course, our very specific predictions. Back shortly. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Total Soccer Show's Women's World Cup Daily. We go now to the goalless adventure between Ireland and Nigeria, which booked Nigeria their place in the round of 16. It's the second consecutive time Nigeria will be in the round of 16 in this contest, indeed, setting up a possible clash with England. Mm, Ireland also earning their first point at this tournament. Uh, Graham, what do we make of this one? We saw a certain player try an Olympico, which was a highlight yeah. for you. Just one, though. Just one, though. Not two. <laughs> so I didn't get my VSP. I did get my VSP, though, for the whole tournament for Ireland. I, th- I, s- I said that the um, the margin of their results would be like a single goal for all three games. So a draw here, I get my VSP for that. Um, I didn't think there was much between the two teams. Nigeria started well. They were trying to beat the Irish defence for pace. And there was a couple moments when Tony Payne and Ashoala um, nearly forced costly mistakes. But then Ireland settled and actually had a decent chunk of possession towards the end of the second half. And then the second half um, followed a, a, a pretty similar pattern where Nigeria started strongly, looking to get f- players forward quickly. But then Ireland grew into it again. And by the final 15 minutes of this match, it kind of felt like both teams were quite happy with the outcome. Ireland get a point. They avoid finishing no points at their first ever World Cup. And Nigeria are through without any real stress in their final game. I thought the main highlight from this match was an incredible save by Courtney Brosnan from a, an ag header that looked for all the world like a Nigeria goal. Probably the best save that I have seen at this tournament so far. It's low down. It's from close range. It bounces right in front of Brosnan, the goalkeeper. So she kind of has to push it away and propel it away from, from goal. Try and find it um, on social media if you haven't seen it. Um, there's been lots of good goalkeeping at this tournament, which is refreshing because often that's been a lazy argument against the the quality of women's World Cups in the past. I saw David Priest talking about this on Twitter. He is a, a former goalkeeper, a, a bit of a goalkeeping pundit in the English media. He agrees that the quality has been very high at this tournament and that lazy argument hasn't been given a chance to fly at all. So Brosman, just the latest goalkeeper to uh, to catch the eye. 
Big shame that it wasn't Brosnan's 007th save of the game. I, and knew, it was a second, I knew there was going to be a, a Bond joke somewhere. Unfortunately. Yeah. <sighs> you knew I had it in me. Um, it, this island side, though, Graham, didn't seem like it was very positive going forward, I suppose. Was it his Achilles heel, wasn't it? Lots of, uh, I'm not going to call it negative play, but sort of build up that didn't quite make it into the final third effectively. I think they were pretty reliant on Katie McCabe, not just for her Olympical yeah. goals and <laughs> Olympical attempts. Kind of a damning but, stat there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, they, gen, generally, in, op, in, in open play, they were reliant on her doing something. There is a good ch- good chance for McCabe in the first five minutes of this match, a low left-footed strike just past the, the far post that might have crept in. Um, but generally, I don't know, Ryan, I, I get your point. I think generally, though, they can be pleased with how they competed at this World Cup. They weren't blown out by anyone. You know, they played the host in the first game against um, Australia and a whole country, you know, 80,000 fans in in that stadium. That could have been a difficult experience. It, it wasn't. I, I think you can see the foundations in place for this team. And then you have players like Abby Larkin, who is, I think, 18, 19 years old. She's already got experience at a World Cup. There's a couple other young players as well. So you can see the next generation to build on the quality that they have through Kate McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan and, and, and Farley at right back as well. So it wasn't a remarkable tournament for them, but I think they will see some positives. We shall indeed. All right, Group B, of course, finishing up with Australia on six points, Nigeria on five, and Canada on four. Ireland with their solitary point going out. And as mentioned, Nigeria will likely face England or Denmark in the next round. One more thing left to do, ladies and gents. That is our very specific predictions. Joseph, you are here in person. You don't have to vote by proxy. We can get this done (laughs) effectively. Uh, We've got uh, from Group E, Vietnam versus the Netherlands and Portugal versus the US, of course, coming at 3am Eastern overnight. Mm -mm. Awesome timing. (laughs) And in Group D, Haiti versus Denmark and China versus England. Joe, where would you like to go? I will go, of course, to USA-Portugal, the game that I will be dialed in all the way on ahead of tomorrow's episode. I am stoked for this match. My VSP is that the United States will score on another set piece. That's how they get their goal against the Netherlands. It's Lindsay Horan rising up and thumping the ball into the back of the net with her head off of a Rose Lavelle corner kick. It's a great moment from the U.S. The Dutch scored their first goal of the tournament against Portugal back on match day one in Group E on a set piece. Portugal, at the Euros, which is their last major competition, conceded six of their eight non-penalty or non-own goals via set pieces. It just feels like that is probably the biggest disparity in this entire game. As talented as the U.S.'s outfield players are, you know, they probably are, are, let me rephrase, they are better than Portugal. I think we have enough evidence to say that. But I, I'm still thinking there are different issues that the U.S. will face against this Portuguese team in different ways that Portugal will try to get at the U.S., I think the U.S. will win, but I think their biggest edge comes on set pieces, and I think they're going to get a goal from either a corner kick or a free kick. Like it. Taylor, where have you gone? Uh, I have gone for the uh, the Dutch game against Viet, uh, Vietnam. I think the Dutch will complete over 400 passes for the first time in this tournament, in this game, uh, because I think they're going to have more of the ball. But also, uh, as you already mentioned, uh, the Dutch score early against uh, Portugal and then back off. The possession stats show they have less and less possession as the game goes on. Uh, same thing against the United States. They still uh, finish the game with, I think, a dominant possession stat, but much less so in the second half. And I think in this game there will be more of a need to control the game to make sure that they see it out Uh, even if they get up early I think they're still going to control the game for long periods of this one so I'm expecting that to translate into lots of possession even if it doesn't lead to lots of goals so over 400 passes completed uh, for the first time in this tournament very good indeed. Graham Rutherford, have you gone for the hipster's choice, Haiti versus Denmark, have you? No, have you? no, I haven't. I've gone for the very mainstream uh, <laughs> co-play choice of USA-Portugal. I'm uh, I'm actually going to choose to look at the Portuguese side of things, though. So I, I predict that Jessica Silva will have more touches of the ball than any other Portuguese attacker. Now, there was a, a massive difference between the way Portugal played against the Netherlands and the way that they played against Vietnam, uh, Kiki Nazareth came into the team for the Vietnam game. She had the most touches of any Portuguese attacker in that match. But despite the fact that I want Portugal to play that way to make this an entertaining spectacle, I think they're going to revert back to the default of sitting deep and maybe having Nazareth on on, on the bench and asking Silva to produce something out of nothing. So her having loads of touches would tell us something about their game plan. 
Good stuff. So silver to have the golden touch, Graham. I like that very much. Uh, she might not do anything with any of those touches, but she will have a lot of them in Portuguese terms. Very I like it, Ryan. I like thank it. Thank you. At least I've got the metal to make these kind of puns. There we Taylor. go. There we go. <laughs> That's nope. all I've got to say about the matter. Uh, China versus England <laughs> is where my VSP is headed. Mary Earps. Goalkeeper Mary Earps will make two or fewer saves, is my prediction in this one. Earps uh, made two saves against Haiti. She made two saves against Denmark. Was crucial, of course, in keeping a clean sheet in both instances. Uh, when China played Denmark, uh, Danish keeper Lenny Christensen made two saves. Also, two is the magic number in this uh, in this group, as is the 1-0 scoreline, evidently, which is the scoreline has been every single uh, game in this group so far. Uh, Haiti's keeper only made three saves when they played China as well. Different calibre of opposition, of course. But I think, once again, there's a good chance this is a 1-0 game. Like every other single game in this group has been, I think Earps will be called upon to have an impact sporadically, like she has been, uh, no more than two times in this game. That's where I've headed. Lovely stuff. Um, so Joe, I assume you will be up at... Uh, 12 midnight Pacific to watch the US game. Taylor, 3 a.m. for you? I don't know. Uh, it's not, it's it's one thirty, right? Or is it, is it 3 a.m.? It, now it is 3 a.m. for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, never mind. I'll see it in the morning. <laughs> Probably. Depends on how early I can get myself to go to bed. If I can go to bed at like 10, I, I feel like I can swing that one, but... I don't think I've been to bed before. I was going to say, what are the odds of that? 15 to 20 years. So (laughs) might be a tough one. Might be a tough one. It's hard to, to not be awake for a U.S. game, though. I might have to pull it together and roll on only only a couple hours of sleep. We'll see how it is tomorrow. Okay, Joe, you a night owl? Is that uh, is that no. okay if you a midnight kickoff? I'm I'm not at all a night owl. Taylor knows this very well from the time that we've gotten to spend together. Uh, <laughs> and I think you guys probably know this too. I I genuinely Joe don't know what my plan the is. All Star Game, and it was a little bit like uh, like it was a he was on Mars. I think the surf, like just a little bit confused <laughs> that stuff still happened after. That's after correct. One That's entirely correct. I uh I genuinely I think my my most likely thing here is I might catch the first half, but I've been waking up early to watch all these games before we started recording. For for the sake of my sleep schedule, I'm not really going to be live tweeting the game at midnight anyway. So I I think it's more likely that I'll catch the majority of it in the morning and just wind the clocks back a little bit and wake up earlier than I have been. It might. And actually, it might even be better for me. I don't know for Joe, but for me to watch the game knowing the score, I might wake up and see what happened because... I think when you remove the emotion, you're able to just watch the game and see what happened versus like having anxiety about it. And you probably get more of a realistic depiction than an emotional depiction. So that might not be the worst idea either. We'll see. There you go. Well, I hope you guys enjoy the games. Graham, I'll see you at 8 a.m. British summertime with some bacon and eggs for this one. Excellent stuff. <laughs> yeah, see, the thing is, I know what I'll do tonight. I'll probably try and fit in about three episodes of Hijack uh, and go to sleep at three and then curse that when I have to wake up at eight, which isn't mm. early, but that is the way my sleep pattern works as I'll end up going to bed really Graham. late and then regretting that. Is that the Idris Elba thing on Apple TV Plus? Yes, it is, yes. Is it good? I've watched the one episode and it, it seems, um, yeah, I'm into it. People like it, so we'll see. It's an Apple product, so I like it intrinsically. All right, let's wrap up this podcast. There'll be plenty more on our bonus on the Patreon once again. Uh, thank you very much, Graham Rutherford, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, a pleasure to have you back, my good man. Yeah, good to be back. Thanks, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell, keep on trucking, baby. (laughs) I shall, my friend. I shall. And listener, thank you very much for joining us. Indeed, we'll be back on the feed tomorrow, of course. But for now, bye.